This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks here, as always, with our recurring guests for week one who are just Sandy and just Mark today because everybody else apparently is busy. I don't know why I'm never busy. I feel like that's a me problem and maybe I should refocus on other priority areas to make sure that I do have other things to do besides the show once in a while. But here we are. So super excited to have Sandy Ellickson here. She's going to talk a little about the RV industry and some of her, we're going to debate all kinds of stuff. We'll figure out what to debate. And obviously Mark Cap from Campground Views, like seven, how many Facebook forums do you have now? Like 22, 23? <laughs> anyway, and all kinds of helping the industry, working with local show, local associations. We were talking about that before the show. So I don't know what we want to talk about today, but we're going to continue this discussion we were having backstage real quick, Sandy. Judge, for those of you who, those of you who don't know, I am very opinionated and I often will say things that I have absolutely no data to back up what I just presented, <laughs> what came out of my mouth. And so maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but I literally can't prove it to you. And so Sandy was calling me out on it beforehand. And then she also like basically pointed out the fact that like when I go camping, I look at, and we'll talk about that in a second. And then I realized in the back of my head, I'm thinking like, cool, but I don't go camping. I don't have time. So that further distances myself from the argument I was trying to make. But anyway, do we have anything that's pressing on our agenda before we briefly touch on that conversation and Sandy holds me accountable? I'll let you guys just dig in. Go ahead and dig in on this. This is good. I don't know. It's an interesting conversation, I feel like, right? No, it's a good conversation. But anyway, so like before Sandy holds me accountable, we should say that speaking of accountable, let's talk about our sponsor for this show, Fireside Accounting who is owned by Lindsay, who's a great woman, years of experience. Her husband runs a campground management company as well. But just if you're looking for someone to keep you accountable for all your numbers and your finances, as well as somebody who really knows the industry and can dive into all the things about RV parks and campgrounds and sites and numbers and unique tax exemptions you might qualify for and just keeping you on your toes and accountable, definitely reach out to Lindsay and give her team a call. We're really grateful for her for sponsoring this episode of Fireside Chat. So here's what we were talking about, okay? And we only had, what, a 30-second, two-minute conversation on it, something like that. We were talking about campground maps. So that was where we went, right? We were talking about how people waste money on advertising, right, in some instances, based on my opinion. But that, I feel like I have some data to back me up. So I think we want to touch on, let's start with the campground map, right? So Sandy was making, Sandy, make your argument. So I was just saying that I am a digital girl. I fully believe in digital marketing. However, I think it's very interesting that the one piece of traditional marketing that I still love and I hear still hear from campers of all ages, then they really appreciate is the campground map with all of the ads around the board. All right. So we're going to have some fun with this. I just want to listen. When you say you've heard, because we're talking about data, right? When you say you've heard from campers of all ages, have you surveyed the one-year-olds? No, I have not surveyed them. They refuse to comply. Right. They actually enjoy the camp maps because they think they taste good. 
fair, but are they actually consuming the advertising then? It depends on how far they eat on the page. Actually, no, they they are consuming the advertising. Yes, because it has to That is the best attention that a business owner can get right there. Like it would, they'll literally be with them for a couple of days, probably. Yeah. And then who knows what comes out the other end? And then they pass it on to someone else. My argument for that. I don't even call that word of mouth. This is probably going into territory one stop before we get too far. But so anyway, continue your argument. I'm sorry. My argument for that is that you don't always go into a place where you've got good cell connection or good internet. And what, and there's a pretty consistent pattern of what kind of people will advertise around the edge of the camp, campground map. Yes. I don't even waste, normally want to waste money are the consistent people who will advertise around. Well, not true. I don't look at the map because my husband navigates and gets us on the site. And I don't really look at the hours because I'm not a rule follower or the rules. I'm not a rule follower. But what I do look at is those ads around the edge for a couple of reasons. One is personal because I love to see who's supporting our industry and I want to support them. And then two, I always want to know, I travel with a pet. I want to know if there's an advertiser on there that's an emergency pet vet. In case an emergency happens, I don't have to stop to Google or look. I know it's right there. I want to know if there's good luck. Not just Domino's or Little Caesars. How do you know? How do you know they're good? Like this guy just paid to be on the ad. Like he could have just—he could be the worst bet in the entire city or state, and he just had five hundred bucks to spend. And you're going to take the dog there and put his precious little puppy life into this guy's hands without reading any Google reviews, seeing if he posts on social media. Listen. If he's supporting my campgrounds, he's a good guy. If he's advertising with one of my campgrounds, I like him. So anyway, so I just, I really enjoy those. And I, I literally look at all the ones around the map. My kids who are millennials, they do the same thing. And no, then, come on, your kids pick up the map and they look at all the different average. No, they don't. Yeah, that map sits on the kitchen table in an RV um, yes. the entire time that RV is at the campsite. Those maps absolutely work. Now, yeah. if it's ten thousand dollars replacement, it won't work. But if it's five hundred bucks, you're absolutely going to make that return on that investment as an advertiser. And for the camper, they're incredibly useful. And I'm really going to blow your mind. Print those rack cards inside the office; those work too. Because when people walk in the door, so you got to look on the other side, Brian. I, I want to be proven wrong. This is why we're having. Oh, I'm about to try to prove wrong. It, it depends if you're going to accept my argument or not. But when somebody walks into a campground, let's do hypothetical. They're driving Yellowstone. They plan to go into Yellowstone, but they really don't know what else is in the area. And I think you may agree with this, the lack of information online as a holistic approach, if you don't know what you're looking for, becomes difficult. So those rack cards in the offices are incredibly valuable just to give you ideas on things to do in the area, zip lines, roller coasters, whatever, all those different advertisers yep. put those rack cards in there. That's this type of advertising. Like I call it push marketing. I don't know how, how you would term it, Brian, but you're pushing your message in front of somebody who may not be expecting to receive it. And hoping to elicit an idea that this is something I want to go do. And this type of advertising works really well because you're hitting a targeted audience with something that's valuable. The map is valuable. I need to pick my site. It's something that sits on the table the whole time they're there. And is it going to be a huge return on investment? Probably not. Like you're, But you're going to get a positive return on the investment. You get brand awareness. I don't see a reason why an advertiser that's targeting that audience would not do an advertisement on a print and so I tend to agree on the ROI of the maps. So again, I'm not a regular camper because I, I don't have time and I can't afford an RV and for all the other things. Well, maybe I could afford an RV, but anyway, 
Mark Hoffman's going to buy me an RV on LinkedIn. Did you guys see that? No, that's cool. Yeah. He, I asked, he said he posted about his new mobile office and I replied and said, can I have one? And he said, sure. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, didn't I think it's a valid contract right there. Yeah. I think that yeah. means it's going to, anyway. So I get that. Like, I think there's certain business verticals that definitely can benefit from that. If that's what is, and I have no reason to doubt you, right? If it is sitting on the kitchen table or the counter, or it gets moved around or shuffled or whatever else, I think it depends on the business, right? I'm not so sure that the emergency pet person maybe is making $500 worth, but for sure, a restaurant would. Absolutely. A local restaurant or a bakery or an ice cream shop or things like that. So I definitely agree with that. I'm not, I'm still not sold on the fact that Sandy's kids are willingly reading the map. I feel like maybe she takes them camping and she's no TV, no phones. <laughs> what are we going to do? Here's a map. And then here's a map. I feel like contrasted, my kids are millennials, which means they're in their thirties, right? And so they do. No, don't say forty. I have no data again to refute my claim here, but that's just the hunch that I'm going to go with. But yeah, the rack cards is an interesting thing, right? So I, I look at rack cards two ways, right? For sure, there are people who are going to go in the store and they're going to browse around and they're looking for things to do, and they're going to pull up some of those rack cards, right? And that's probably a very, it's not that expensive to put those in, I guess, solicit other businesses to put those in your store. It really doesn't touch you anything, right? I'm not so sure on the flip side of the debate where I want to spend $10,000 to print these and put them in rest stops all over the place. I don't know if that's there. Maybe it is, but I think that a lot of businesses aren't tracking this. They're not using call tracking. They're not using UTM or redirect links on, right? There's no way to know if these things are actually working. Like you can hand out 20,000 brochures at a trade show, but cool. They took them. Maybe they glanced at them, but did they call? Did they make a reservation? Did they visit your website? I think there's a tracking piece component here that could prove one of us right or wrong or both of us right or wrong. Right. But the rack cards in the office for sure. And I think you're right. Part of the problem is Google is very unhelpful, especially when you don't know what you're looking for. But I think AI chat will solve some of that for sure, as we continue to get used to it. And again, it, like Google hasn't officially launched it yet. They're beta testing it with users in their search. But I think once that comes and you can actually ask a helpful assistant, what do I do near me? And it knows your location and it can actually pull from the database of all the things and all the internet, give you like a list, right? Or you can say, I have a family with two kids and I'm sitting in this campground. What do I, that kind of thing. I still think people pick up the rack cards, but I think less people pick up the rack cards. And I know you shy away from the AI, but I'll give you credit again. You were early on this. And a lot of the tools I use from a digital side, you're right. For example, Canva, Canva, which is a graphic program for creating mm -hmm. stuff, now has a full AI experience in there where you can actually tell the AI, hey, I need to develop a proposal template for this. And it'll, it'll develop a very nice proposal template with simply some instructions like that. I agree mm -hmm. with you. We're actually on the cusp of something significant with this AI experience and what's coming. And we're, I think you've said this, we've only scratched the surface on what's available and what's actually gonna happen. And so over the next four or five years, the transition here will be so monumental, but that maybe you done a lot of research. It's gonna be quicker than that. that. It's gonna you be think, quicker you think faster than four or five years. I think we're gonna have a massive impact on jobs in three to five years. Yeah. A I, massive, I, massive impact where jobs are not going to ever come back. I would agree with that. And I think it's going to happen exponentially. It's going to happen so rapidly. 
It used to be that technology had a life cycle of three years, right? And it, it used to be five, and then it became three. I think we're reading right, A track to records or records to A track and A track, like it kept getting shorter. Yeah. That to CD yeah. to digital to. Yeah. And one of the ways they used to measure how fast we were growing with the internet was how many lines of code were available. And so, and look, how quickly are we duplicating the number of lines of code that are actually being used on the internet? And there was an algorithm that actually did that. And now it's like we're exponentially, I mean, we are doubling the lines of code. Not, it's less than a year now because so much code is going out there. So I think it is going to be exponential growth. The one thing that I am kind of watching AI for that I know they will do, but I wish they wouldn't, is just like with Waze and Google Maps, if you're trying to search for a route, it now will navigate you past their advertisers. It looks to see, can I now, not what is absolutely the best route, but can I route them past an advertiser? And you don't even realize that's happening. And imagine when AI gets involved. Well, so, sure. But I think, so, I think some of that is good and some of it's bad. And I noticed that years ago. I don't know if you guys ever did. I can't remember. I think it was Waze, but maybe it was Google Maps too. Like we would see like the Taco Bell. Like I think Taco Bell did some kind yeah. of national campaign. And we would see, you'd look on the map and you wouldn't be zoomed in and see any business, but you'd see the Taco Bell icon right yeah. there for every Taco Bell. Okay, that's interesting. And I've noticed like up here in Canada too, like when I search for a brewery or a, somewhere to go to, a local brewery when I'm traveling, I always see Tim Hortons pop up. There has to be advertising, right? Oh, it like, is. Very clearly not brewery, but it happens in multiple cities. So it's not an accident. And it's all the Tim Horton locations in the city, right? Yeah. And let me go in deeper on this because I, th I think park operators don't realize the impact of personalization within search results. And for example, I was just talking to a park owner and they were they're like, our ad doesn't show up every time that I do the search for my park. And I said, are you planning on paying to stay at your park? He said, no, I'm, I obviously own the park. Yeah, Google personalizes your results. Now imagine where that goes with these AI algorithms that are already in play. There's already that stuff in the back end that's, that's going right. on, tracking user behaviors and then customizing results based upon that. So the reality is tapping into that could be lucrative, but it's also a little bit scary too, because that's where you start getting silos of information that are going on right now. Or scary. Get... What? It's all scary. Continue yeah. though. Yeah, and so... That hyper-personalization of information is actually leading to the silos that we're all living in with right now. So based upon your behaviors, your search habits, and not just yours, but everybody else's own individual behaviors and search habits, they start diving down these silos of information because the search engines are feeding them what they want, right? So it's just- a, This is not uh, new. This has been going on for 10 years with social media. This is how we all hate each other in the United exactly. States. Exactly. And that's, if you look at TikTok, I've been talking a lot about this because, and I don't know if you've seen it, Brian, I don't know if you've seen it, Sandy, but attention spans are just- they're way down. And not only are the tension spans down, but the ability to absorb information is down. Unless it's in a visual short form format, people are like, wait, I got to read something. I'm like, wait, I'm not going to understand this. And See, I actually I had somebody, I actually had somebody in the Facebook group, in this, in the main owner's Facebook group, Brian, say this to me. Hey, your video is more than 20 minutes long, or it was like a 20 minute video. I don't have the time to watch it. So I've actually been testing. I know you've been testing with it too, doing short form video within the Facebook group of, anywhere from one to five minutes long just to get content out. To yeah, help I did people. two of those videos and literally no one liked them. So <laughs> I don't know if Facebook didn't show them. I uploaded them as Facebook reels for my, maybe I just need to put them as videos and see. Yeah. But 
but there's a lot to unpack there. And I, I stray away from talking about AI all the time, like I used to, because I feel like people are sick and tired of hearing it, but also Please at the don't. same time, how do I balance that they need to hear it? They just don't understand that they do right now. If you look at, and I want to unpack some of the other things you're talking about too, that yeah. were unrelated to AI. And then I want to get back to maybe the Google ads thing too, which we talked, I've talked about on the show before the future of advertising. I think we just did it two weeks ago and Sasha was here from, I can't remember the name of the company. I'm sorry, Sasha Older, I think. But anyway, like AI is, if you look at, let's start with these algorithms, okay? Because people think AI is new. AI is not new. You're just seeing AI at this current level is new and it's accelerating exponentially very fast and that's new. But they've been using machine learning algorithms in social networks almost since the beginning. And these algorithms were literally programmed to say, right now people, and I'm just making up numbers, right? Right now, last year we had 50 million people in January consume 40 minutes of content on YouTube per day. Your goal as an algorithm is to make sure that next year that's 75 million people and they consume 60 minutes of content every day on YouTube. Go do that. And the algorithm through trial and error of figuring out what works and what doesn't across millions and millions of people across the world figured out the best way to do that was to piss us off and get us outraged at each other. And welcome to the world that you live in today. And then you get YouTube and Facebook who deny that stuff has ever happened. But that's actually, that's literally what happened yep. is we were manipulated by social media into, and I'm not saying we didn't have our differences. Of course we do, but the problem is we can't find common ground now. And that's not all because of social media, but it plays a large role in that. Um, yeah, and, go ahead, go Cindy. Ahead. I'm sorry. I'm going to lead us a little way, a little farther away from the political back out into the campground world. No, but no, no, that's I, fine. Like I'm just tipping up, but whether I, it's politics or what you like or see or the campgrounds, you're, it's all the same thing, right? I don't want to dive into the political end. No, it actually, it, it's fun. I, I'm, and let me dive into it because I think this is a dovetail into what you're going to say, Sandy. So there's on our end as a consumer facing brand, we work with influencers, right? People who have channels out there that are RV related. And so one of the things we do is we'll run a test every once in a while and we'll run some YouTube ads against influencer channels and try to see what type of engagement we get off of that. And that builds our list of influencers that we want to reach out to and partner with. And there was, we got this one channel on there and I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but we go and look at the content because we want to make sure that if this is somebody we even want to work with in the first place, if they're an influencer. And this person was a young woman, attractive, who basically filmed herself in a bikini in an RV doing stuff outside. And I was like, out, first off, I was like, what the heck? And she, millions of views on all of her videos. And every time she posts, she has millions of views. And the content was very fluffy. It was just her dancing around in a bikini. You're going to walk us into a landmine, aren't you already? I, got I am. Well, but, that's where I'm going to go. But the point being is that once I touch that video once on my personal account, all of a sudden I start getting fed those videos all the time. And so then my wife walks in and goes, what are you watching? I'm like, I did not do this. I swear <laughs> to you. Man, right. But the point being is that personalization based upon that, that one view of that video that I did pause on because I'm trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Why is our ads being fed on this one? Why, who is this person? What are they doing? Anyways, I think that may dovetail into how the silo, siloization of content and filtering it to somebody can dictate not only just political views, but their views of the outdoors, of camping, of where they're going to go as a destination and how they're going to behave when they get there. I absolutely can. Go ahead, Sandy, before we talk about well, I was just going to say one of the coolest things I had seen recently related to AI. I do a lot of work 
outside of the campground industry, I still do a lot of work with developers that are in Israel and they're constantly testing things. And but literally they're able to go in now using AI and you can target it into a general area and you can say, have AI go out, count and look every time somebody goes to a website that is like one of the property management softwares. And if they get to the point where they've searched for to make a reservation and it comes back and says no sites found, AI can count that. So it can now tell me how many site nights are lost based on people looking for a site and it returning no sites found. I don't know if that's AI. I could, I've been able to do that for 12 years. Nobody ever asked me to, but. This particular, because there's so many complex variations on this, that's why they're using AI. I'm trying to shorten it because, you know, I am not for talking a lot. So I'm trying to shorten the thing, but it's getting into very in-depth, a lot of in-depth statements and things like that, right? But that's really important information if you're getting ready to build, right? How many people are actually searching for a site in this area over a period of time? Or if you want to expand, or if you want to go from being a primarily seasonal park to a transient park, those things are super interesting. And those are the things that excite me about some of the new things that are coming. Because the thing is, I didn't have to write that or subscribe to somebody. AI figured it out all on its own by somebody saying, hey, go out and find me this. Somebody just talked to the computer and said, I want to know this information. And AI went and figured it out and did it. So I thought that was pretty cool. It is. And so here's the thing, though. Like, people don't understand how fast this is moving now. We talked about the exponential, right? We see 20 to 60 new AI tools come out in various aspects of image editing or text editing or analysis or insert like 400 other categories. It's, it's in medicine. There's already something in front of the FDA that can recognize cancer on a radiology scan with 99% accuracy. It's, in, it's before the FDA for approval. It's done. As soon as that comes out, radiologists are in trouble. This is literally every field, every product or service is going to be touched by this, no matter where you're looking or going. And it's exponentially increasing at such a rapid speed, but still it's like an amoeba. I heard, I can't remember the guy's name. I was watching a YouTube video on it later, or I can't pronounce his name. I should say it's the guy who wrote the Sapiens book and Homo Deuce. And his name is, is, is from Israel. His name is Yal something. I just can't remember his last name or pronounce it. And so he was using an analogy where he's saying like, cause he's a historian, right? He's not, his specialty is not an AI. And he said, this is literally like the amoeba crawling out of the ground 4 billion or however many years ago that over 4 billion years then evolved into whatever life we have on earth here. Assuming you subscribe to evolution, which I do, but that's okay. But let's just pretend everybody does right now. So evolved into that through whatever path that it took. But this is what AI is like the AI that we have today is the amoeba. Yeah. What's the T-Rex going to look like? Yeah. And it certainly isn't going to take 4 billion years to get there. It's going to take 10. There was an article last week, some military colonel was at a conference and he commented about, they did some sort of hypothetical or training exercise with AI and they programmed an AI drone to attack a target and it would receive mm-hmm. points based on attacking that target. And, but it did have a human controller who could say yes or no. The final decision on actually killing was yes or no. Yes. And so the, the AI figured out, I need to get points to kill that thing. And this person's holding me back. So it turned around and went and killed the target. This is all hypothetical. It didn't happen in real life, but it turned around and killed the controller. 
And they said, we can't have that. So they programmed and said, if you kill the controller, you lose. Don't do that. So then it figured out, all right, what I'll do then is I'll destroy <clears> the communication <throat> tower between the controller and me. That way I can't hear the command and then I can continue on. The point being is where that brings you I on to- I want to see that article, but go ahead, continue. What's that? I believe you. I just want to read it. Yeah. And there may be nuances in it, right? So it may have been built up, but the general theory is there. And that leads you into the whole idea of what you just said there, Brian, about how fast this is moving. I don't think we can conceptualize where this goes over the next three to five years, as you said. And I think it is snowballing really fast because entrepreneurs, businesses see it as an opportunity to improve either their services or their products or even eliminate employee costs for different services. When you start doing that in mass at the scale of what's going on, that's when you see transformational changes. The, I think the easiest one to grasp is automobiles and trucking and trucking specifically. Trucking employs a lot of people in the United States. And there are now auto, autonomous vehicle entities that are, for example, there's a route right now from Phoenix to Tucson that runs every day carrying a load. The truck drives, there's a driver in the seat, but the car, the truck drives itself, right? They've been testing this and it's just been doing runs back and forth. So when you take that on a or even a U.S. scale where all of a sudden short-run trucking that's destination can start being autonomous, you lose a significant portion of well-paying middle-class jobs. And so, so I, that's well, Continue. Continue. I'm yeah, sorry. I was actually going to stop right there. So go ahead, Brian. No, I was just going to say, so like autonomous trucking is a whole other thing, right? And we right. definitely, like it's something you need to pay attention to. But here's the thing. That's been coming for 15 years. Yeah. You've known self-driving car, like. I don't feel sorry for you if you're a truck driver. I'm sorry. Like you can call me cold hearted or whatever you want to do, but you've known this is coming for 15 years. You've had 15 years to attempt to learn a new skill. Like AI is coming a lot faster than that. I will feel sorry for the people who, whose jobs AI displaces because it's mm -hmm. going to come so fast that they won't have time to adjust to those kinds of things, but it's going to come very quickly. And what you're talking about too is a valid point. You're right about entrepreneurs and the investment that's coming into the space and how fast they're moving. And it's still, even with that speed, because you could argue that they move the same thing at the beginning of crypto and the beginning of the internet and the beginning, but it's still, I don't know, I, I it's way surpassed my expectations. It's going a hundred times, 200 times faster than I thought. But even on top of that, this is the first technology that's existed that doesn't need human intervention to continue to evolve. This is the critical point, right? You can look at every other invention in the history of mankind. And this is a great video. Like I'll find the link and I'll share it with you guys if you want to see it. But in the same video from the guy yesterday from you all or whatever, he was talking about this evolution. And one of the examples he gave was Gutenberg's printing press, right? It's totally changed the world and knowledge and made free books and printing available to everybody. But it still required a human to make the decision to print the books. The printing press didn't decide, I want one more Bible, or I want 10 more Bibles, or I want to add a page to the Bible, or I need to change my distribution to do whatever. And then it stopped, had to stop when people needed to sleep. And AI doesn't need to do that. It works 24 seven. So not only do you take the exponential scale of the entrepreneurs doing it, you take the exponential scale of 24 seven, 365 nonstop, nobody gets sick work that continues to evolve. And <laughs> it's insane. Casey. I forgot. I forgot Casey was even on the show. I feel like I said that before the back end, but we're miss. We were missing Casey too. Yeah. I didn't get mentioned for missing. That's tough, man. It's all good. Sorry. The meeting went long. How's everyone doing? What are we talking about? Oh, not even that. We started talking about campground maps and then yeah. we got on the, on the 
that from something totally traditional and safe to AI. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it was a big job. Hey, maps yeah. weren't always allowing map booking maps. When I just four and a half years ago, I had to speak endlessly about the value of a booking map being relevant to a park. Literally, it took years to convince a lot of campgrounds that that that's beneficial. But uh, yeah, so, Brian, I don't know if you saw. I actually, I, I do real fast, Sandy. So, Brian, I don't know if you saw this, but CampSpot has announced that they're hiring a new role for the summer. It's called the seasonal chief outdoor officer and they will provide a ten thousand dollar travel stipend and a two thousand dollar monthly salary and a virtual assistant and all the person has to do is go out and camp all summer long so casey first off i love this as just a contest giveaway so whoever came up with it over there you can take credit for it casey good job but i wish i could it was aaron somebody yeah genius idea i love it do you know anything about it you want to share a little bit i just know that we're I'm going to throw my buddy Josh under the bus that we're finally getting a legit COO. That's what I'm really excited about. Now, no, it's awesome. We just rolled it out. Actually, I just, uh, Aaron does a phenomenal job of holding anticipation of things until they're about ready to release. And then we all get excited about it too. Yeah, we were just actually talking about this today, the final stages of it and things of that sort and release going out. It's something that we're super excited about, right? And get engagement, get people talking about and just get people camping, right? At the end of the day. We want more people camping. We want to create more camping nights. People think it's cliche, but it's the truth. That's what we're aiming to do is get more people camping and get more camping nights. Um, I totally know books. who you should hire for that. We'll have to talk offline. <laughs> and it's not me because I have too many parks to help, but it might be my husband. No, not really. <laughs> I do you know, know this, but it's a I, I think the biggest lesson in this is obviously it's a cool idea, but for a, for an RV park or a campground is see what they did. So they actually hit the... They hit the gut of the consumer. The consumer, literally, when they get in an RV and go travel for a weekend, they wish they could just do it all summer long. Man, I wish I could get paid to go do this. So they hit that. Maybe. It depends on what experience you have at the park, but continue. True. In, in general, they want to go camping and they want to, if somebody's going to pay me to go camping. So I just love the entire concept from a marketing pers- perspective. And like on our end, we got the press release. We sent it out to our entire list just because it's a completely awesome idea, right? So from a marketing perspective for park owners and operators, Look at what Camp Spot's doing in this giveaway that they're doing and consider how you can do that for your own park. Obviously not copy this idea, but something similar that hits at the gut of what your guests want when they're traveling. And that's going to get them to share the idea. So I just love it from a marketing. Appreciate that, Mark. I've, so not, I've not seen it. Honestly, it's the first I heard about it, but yeah, it sounds like a good idea. I have a question for you relating to Memorial Day, Casey. With some of the other groups that I work with, and one of the things we discussed in the innovator group was it was very interesting that over the Memorial Day weekend, two statistics came up. One was that there were more parks that had their glamping sites 100% sold out and their RV sites were not, which that's the first time. They're just starting to track, obviously, some of the glamping stuff, but that kind of stood out. And the second thing that I thought was interesting that they said they had the highest number of last minute booking that they'd ever seen. So did you see that inside your data as well? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of different things there. I don't have specifics on lodging versus RV sites as far as availability. We all know that the trends between whether you call it glamping like a cabin or the specific, I consider a cabin, happiest cabins I consider glamping because it's not in a tent or it's not in exactly. an RV. Yeah. But that, we know there's a rise of those. 
we were, we definitely saw overall of like whatever that is, a 23 or 2400 parks, a huge jump the week right before Memorial Day and then continuing right now. There has been a big, like a breath of fresh air in terms of a spike in camping reservations overall. So where there is this little, well, I mean, this is, there's just not seeing the numbers here that I think a lot of people hope to see or anticipating seeing. It just took a huge jump as that first, just before that first busy camping week and then continuing after, which is even more exciting to see, right? It's exciting to see a big jump on a holiday weekend, but what you want to see is that trend continue right after that it means that people are not only booking the one, but then they're booking another one or people didn't get in on that initial holiday weekend. And now they're like, Hey, summer's here, but it makes a lot of sense, right? I'm looking outside right now at our house and there's eight kids running around crazy over here. The summer's out, right? And so as soon as that starts to happen and kids get out of school, kids get out of school. Yep, that's it. Parents go, okay, I'm not having this here all the time, right? And we're going to plan something and we're going to go do this for these amenities and stuff like that. So some of that makes sense where I'm sure people aren't stupid, right? When the people that are camping, Brian might argue this, but no, people that are camping, they're looking at trends, right? They're looking at availability. If you see that everything is booked up, you're going to follow suit to that. And you're going to be like, okay, hey, we need to book this now. And that's what happened a couple of years ago. People yes. realized I can't book anything, but people are, they're going to look and see, and if there's some availability, they might not, they're not be as big of a call to action to say, I have to book that right now. And there's a good and bad of that. What the good of that though, that we're seeing right now to Sandy's question is reservations are picking up drastically. Like they're accelerating very quickly. And in a lot of cases, um, it's really, really exciting to see beyond just a holiday weekend because it is, it shows that, like I said, that the season is here and it's not necessarily painted picture yet. We had a little bit of a picture of what we thought maybe occupancy was going to be down a certain percentage, but then we saw this kind of good jump, this good spike. And so far we're, we're, we're super excited because it's showing that's maintaining. Which yeah, I think we, we've been telling our clients that for a couple months now, just, it's not the same booking window. You need to wait. It's when Memorial day, they start kicking off summer and then kids get out of school and that's whatever. It's not across the board, but that's, and now, so what I want to see now is yes, that trend, we've seen that trend too, but does that continue throughout June yep. or is that, and then that's what will make me a big believer, believer that it's going to be great. I think I mean, it'll be good, the, but will it be great? I don't know yet. But you have to define great, right? If you're defining great as the main COVID year where everyone was available yeah. for the most part to work during the week, that's tough to compare that. But I think if you put some realistic expectations and you're just utilizing some other things a little bit better, using your add-ons better, using rate management a little bit better, you're using just technology in general, or you're, you're embracing some other things to help bring that ADR up, or if you bring that overall invoice up, you can definitely make some, you can make some necessary adjustments. For sure you can. And that's the thing, like you can be down, like there's a range, right? And you and I were, were chatting about this with numbers a couple of weeks ago, right? Where some people were looking down and I have, have had those conversations with other reservation systems providers too. And I think that's flipped a lot since then the conversation is different, but at the same time, a lot of those people who are on the higher end of that down range, they don't do any marketing. They don't do any marketing. They don't do any work. They don't know where their people are coming from or why they're coming. And so it's very easy to then flip that, especially the first couple of years after you turn that faucet on, because there's literally yeah. 30 levers to pull. To Yeah. We mentioned this. I don't know if I mentioned this on here, but it was something that we were really excited about that part of like our analytics thing here. And this is obviously a spiel here because I hate doing that on these shows, but we created a heat map for where 
parks reservations were coming from. And it's just a, it's just a thing that's displays on their main analytic page. So they can ultimately, and this is hopefully for them to understand where to market, right? To use that as like the thing to say, okay, now I at least know where my customers were coming from. Now let's put a place, a plan in place to, to expand that awareness in these different areas or pockets that I know we have good, not just report from, but where your money's coming from, right? This is where, this is where that is. And so for us, it was something that we were super excited to give to our clients because again, it's incredibly valuable to know like what the customer is, where they're coming from, where it's concentrated and where you can focus some of those marketing efforts or where you can expand those marketing efforts or where you can clone that type of marketing campaign potentially in another area, a certain distance away or something along those lines to help bring in that that additional clientele. Yeah, there's just so many different things and people don't pay attention to the data. Like you can put the data in front of them and part of it is some of it is an unwillingness. Some of it is lack of tech savvy. Most of it, I think, is no time. But then you've got to put a value on that. And whether that means you hire a Mark or a me or a whoever, right? Or an, even outside of marketing, if you hire whatever you're outsourcing, right? An accounting firm. Like our sponsor, Fireside Accounting, by the way. Um, but whoever, right? You need to put a value on those things. And we see that like some of these free websites that we're doing for CCRVC, the Canadian National Association for American Glamping Association for some of our other partner, we're seeing people come to us. They don't value websites at all. Like we, we talked to somebody yesterday who's, who literally said, I want a website. It was a free website, right? It's a templated website and I need it done. My booking thing, I'm going to be ready to go and accept reservations next week on Thursday. And I need the website done by then. Cool. But no, and you've known about this for like weeks and you could have, right? And so the pro, so it's that, but they don't value the website in general, let alone the time, craft, care it takes. Yes, a templated free one-page website is much easier to get done, but it's understanding the analytics, how people use those websites in this case, or social media or the billboard or the campground map or the whatever to determine the value of that and then assess what piece of that is worth a margin for me to go hire somebody to do that better. Yeah. That people have a hard time valuing what they don't understand. Right. I remember years ago when I first started out in tech, I I would work with programmers and I'd think, oh my gosh, why should it take them three hours to do that? It should just be like 15 minutes until I had to sit behind one of them and watch what they were doing. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, now I get it. And I think for campgrounds, anything, a lot of times, if, especially if it's a mom and pop kind of thing, techno, they're in the hospitality industry because they're people person. They want to get out. They want to visit. Sitting behind a desk with a computer is the last thing they want to do. But the most important thing we can do is teach them, if you do what you love and then push off everything you hate to somebody else who's qualified, don't try and make them think it's important because they don't get it. But just tell them, don't do the things you hate. It's just like me. If you ask me to come up with a great new idea, that's right in my wheelhouse. You don't like it. Give me five minutes. I'll give you another one. But if you ask me to sit day in and day out and manage a park and do the accounting and take the reservations, you will kill me in about 15 minutes. And what should I'm, be Camp Spot's next feature? Right. What should be Camp Spot's next feature? You said you come up with an idea. Oh, CamSpot's next feature. Okay, I think CamSpot's next feature should be something that's, that does something similar to what 
Camp Now and some of the, I think Harvest Toast is doing a platform where you're constantly going out and searching for canceled reservations so that people can put in places that they want to go to that are normally sold out and get alerts on those things. There you go. How for it, Casey, doing? It's, yeah, I'd be interested. I mean, I'd be interested to see how many parks across the platform and any really on any given weekend are at 100% capacity, even at the site type level. I know that happens obviously at a lot of the state parks, right? Like they that gets all nabbed up right away, whether people are going to use them or not, if they decide to cancel. And I can't tell you how many times when we did that state association show market I was at, where we went to some of these just incredible state properties, and because they were so cheap. People just don't show up. They don't even care about canceling. Yeah. And you had, I mean, you had yeah. 10, 15, 20 spaces open. And I never knew this, but you can actually go there after a certain point in time. If they don't show up, you can just take the spot. And I remember thinking, man, that's a bold way to think about things. And then I went to some of these places and I'm like, there's like plenty of availability here. This is crazy. So it'd be interesting to see how many people actually cancel and how many times you can actually book that in time. I'd be curious to see that. That is my idea specifically for you, Casey, and I'm not being negative to any of my other friends. You are the only one that could do it because you have your own marketplace yeah. and you have great parks, which I can't get into a lot of time. So if you fix that for me, I do want you to call it the Sandy Widget. That seems worth at least pulling the data, right? To see. Yeah. Like, whether you develop it or not, I'd like to see the data. That's interesting. With property management softwares, I couldn't do this, but with the marketplace, Right. I can go in and say, Hey, I really want to get into this campground. Alert me if there's a cancellation. Right. Yeah, better yet. Better yet. This honestly, is, this is revenue Kelly. generation, right? So Mark, hold on one second. This is revenue generation, right? So yeah. you could have campers subscribe to this, right? And you could have tiers on how fast they get the alerts, right? So there could be like a dollar ninety-nine tier. There could be like a five ninety-nine and a nine ninety-nine tier. Nine ninety-nine gets text alerts, so they yeah. instantly see it. The five ninety nine gets emails, and the dollar ninety nine gets a carrier pigeon sent. <laughs> I was, I was, let me add on that, Brian, because I was about to go to the same spot with you, but a little bit different play on it. Which is, if I'm looking to book a site, and I know the site's seventy five dollars a night or whatever, but I want to be there, and everything's booked, I'd be willing to even bid on it and say I'll bid eighty bucks if a site opens up and put my credit card in, and you book it. So now all of a sudden you've got almost like a bidding for sites type of deal. I don't know how many people would be willing to do that, but might be willing. So there are depends on how many parks are full, like BC said. That's the yes. interesting thing. Yeah. Harvest has have a, a new thing that they're doing with the campgrounds for that, but it's they're only doing state, federal, local parks. Camp Nab is doing the exact same thing. That's a much smaller ownership. They're doing it, but there's nobody that's doing it from the pub, the private floor piece of it. Yeah. And at some point when we all get together and we're working together, maybe that would be an opportunity, but for right now, that's a space that really only camp spot could serve. Yeah. Wow. Definitely noted. <laughs> we'll see what type of, you know, we just got to see the data, right? Like I, yeah. the data is going to tell us whether it's obviously camp spots to shift, right? But from a smart perspective, like, does that actually problem actually yeah. exist? For sure. I think for sure it did in 21 and probably in 20. I'll call it. Oh. Yeah. Whether it's still the, <laughs> we'll do. Yeah, now it's a good idea. I can tell you that the perception maintains this year. We still see that from, in fact, rvtravel.com does those those clickbait posts often on our campgrounds full. And you read the commentary, campers still believe the campsites are full, whether that's real or not. They still, that's still the mindset of a lot of folks is that everything's full. I can't get anywhere. And 
I don't think that's the reality, but that's definitely the perception on the consumer. Well, I think it's reality in certain markets, for sure. Mark, that goes back to what you were talking about earlier was attention span. People yeah. spend about five minutes max trying to find a site. And if they can't find it, they're done. They quit. They said, we're just not going to go camping. And that's why I see the back. Like that? Wait a minute. You need data to back this up. We're back in full circle now. Who says that? Oh, um, so I say they're that. Just not, they're just going to give up and go pout on their couch? I don't know about that. No, <laughs> I believe through now. We didn't do a research specifically on this. Uh-huh. But we, it was research. On you click called fatigue. me out on data. Now I get to call you out. But what we did do research on is click fatigue. So we can tell you what percentage of campers say that they have click fatigue, which is trying to find a website. Okay. Which basically relates to the same thing. Now, I didn't go into anything as far as how long did they do that, but I will mention to Scott, who's to me the, the analytics guru, that the next one we do, we need to include that. But People do have click fatigue, and so they will only search for so long because we know their attention span is short before they give up. Yeah, So this, but this is all going to be stuff. So this goes full circle back to what Mark was talking about, about advertising and personalization too, and, and back to how AI is going to change this search, right? Eventually what's going to happen, and I talked about this with Sasha on the show two weeks ago, I think, eventually you're going to feed your inventory data directly into these systems. Whether it's Bing or ChatGPT or Google system or whatever it is, you're going to feed your inventory. You're going to connect a camp spot. You're going to connect a ResNexus. You're going to connect a whatever, right? To these systems. And it's going to be able to determine your inventory in real time. And that is going to allow you to be able to search and it will present you with campgrounds that you, it thinks you like that have availability on the dates that you want to stay, whatever else, right? And that's going to get rid of that click fatigue. But it's also going to create a better environment for advertisers too. Because now, and, and the example I used on the show was just so people can understand, was Delta Airlines, right? If you have, if you're, if Delta Airlines is running billions of dollars in pay-per-click every year to get people on a specific route, and they're running pay-per-click against, I don't know, pick one of their hubs, Atlanta to Detroit or something like that, right? Right now, they may run those ads and they're not targeted enough or they don't know enough about the consumer. So they waste probably millions of dollars worth of pay-per-clicks because, or yeah, PPC, because somebody will click that ad who wants to depart the airport at a specific time, that flight is sold out or doesn't exist or wants to sit in first class, first class is already sold out or needs an exit row and the exit row is already sold out or whatever, right? Whatever the case may be. And so Delta, even though their intention was like the targeting was good and the intention for that person was good to get there and to book a flight, Delta didn't have what was available. Now, if you feed your inventory directly into that system, all of a sudden now you can bid for that auction, just like you would on Google in real time but only bid to the places where you have availability. The flaw in that, in my, at least in my understanding, we're just talking about this today because obviously we have a whole team that we're talking about all this stuff with, but we just talked about this today. The interesting thing with that is, is how do you see Google specifically or even Bing? There's no way they're going to give up their number one revenue source, right? Like they're, they can't just get rid of that. They can't just say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to allow you Delta to spend hundreds of millions of dollars less. They have to funnel. They're it. not going to spend less. That's the difference. So yeah. here's the difference, right? So when we look at Mark knows this, when we look at Google ads, right? So right now you pay a cost per click. Yep. And then as you work your way down that data metric, eventually when you're tracking revenue through CampSpot or your reservation system, what you get is a cost per customer acquisition. Yep. How much does it cost you to acquire a customer? That number is what you're going to bid on. 
So now, because you know for sure that customer is looking for a flight that you offer and a seat that you have at a time you have a flight to depart, now it's almost a 98% certainty that they will book if you put that in front of them in a real-time auction. So now instead of paying $3 a click, you're going to pay $30 a customer or $20 yeah. a customer to Google. I got a real world example on this. This was a small park location. They do paper reservations. They're old school, but they were running Google ads forever with me. And it was just cost per maximum clicks, sending traffic into their website. And they only spent about $150 a month. So it wasn't even really enough to drive to, to do anything. And they paused it and they basically, oh, we're not going to do it again. All of a sudden they call me up and said, Hey, we need to get some guests in our park. And I'm like, what do you want? And so I got down to the heart of it. I'm like, you guys want a phone call? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm going to set up this campaign. So all it's going to do is generate phone calls. I'm not sending any traffic to your website. It's just going to be a call only campaign that runs on mobile. But the trick is you're going to pay a lot more for that because it's a phone call. And they said, all right, we'll try it out. So I set it up and about three days later, I hadn't heard from them. I called them up because the problem with that call tracking is you get the click, but you don't actually know if it was an out. I call them up. I'm like, how's it going? Mark, this is unbelievable. We have got six new guests in the last three days when we were dead before. All of them called. I know it's from the Google ads. And I said, all right, do you want the news? And like, yeah. I said, as of right now, you've spent about a third of what you previously spent on Google ads in your pay-per-click. So you're going to spend a significant amount more on a monthly basis. Are you okay with that? As long as these phone calls continue coming in, yes. So to Brian's point, a, a business owner knowing with certainty that every dollar they spend is bringing in a customer will be willing to pay more than the uncertainty of getting some crap traffic and having to figure it all out. And you're going to lose some of those, right? Like Delta, like it's not a guarantee 100%, but it's going to be an 80 to 90% guarantee. Yeah, and, and then to be, add to it. $15 instead of 30. And then if you hit 50% of the time, it's still 30. But Google's still going to make their money. It's just going to be better for Google and better for the ad. I guess that's what I was, that's what I was getting at is that it's not going to be just this new world where Google is providing an easier <laughs> search option and not capitalizing on it. Like the cost is still going to somewhat be there. Just a matter yeah. of how it's the biggest risk to CampSpot is the same risk that like Expedia and all them faced with the hotel side, where originally Google was just taking the Expedia data and showing it. Then eventually Google launched their own hotel search engine and basically cannibalized that business from those those type of travel services. They could obviously do the same thing in this space. If all the reservation engines are fine mm -hmm. in the data, they could just cannibalize that and take over that market. So it is a big risk. And the reality is the players with the technology are the ones that are going to win in the end. And so the trick is for everybody else in the world is to try to figure out how you operate a business within the world of giants. How do you carve out a little niche for yourself and your family and your friends in order to make a living in all of this, which is, I think, dovetails into what Brian's saying about there's a lot of people about to get screwed with AI taking their jobs. How do they carve a niche for themselves and survive in that? We talked a little bit about that today. Like the difference is saying, hey, find me a three-star hotel within five minutes of the city of Chicago with the king bed. And for AI, something like that, I think it makes perfect sense to say with, with availability within five miles, like that makes perfect sense. The opposite of that would be find me a campground within what? 10 miles of this area with availability that can fit a 23 foot RV with slide outs on one side with two pets that, and I, it needs a swimming pool or whatever. And maybe I'm making it more complicated. It is, but these are just very basic. Right, you're not there yet, right? You're not there yet. Yeah. You're yeah. there to your first question when Google yeah. launches it. Your second question though, is a year away. It's yeah. not far. Right. Mm. Because Google, because again, it campgrounds may lag behind this, right? But you're going to be able to feed your data into those systems. And if you don't feed your data, imagine if you don't feed your data 
forget about whether you advertise. Imagine if you don't feed your data into these systems and it gives you a list of three campgrounds, but it pulls from the ones who feed it data. It's already there because Google already knows everything about what I need to camp. No matter where I go, if I'm making a reservation, it pops up and says, do you want to pre-populate this information? And it is my rig type. Right, it's going to get even rig. smarter than that, right? Yeah. At that point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start collecting more information. And then it's going to, a lot of it, you're not even going to have to ask. It's going to know already that you have, and it's creepy. And they're going to, we need privacy laws desperately around this stuff. But it's going to know you have kids and know you have a dog and know you have a, right? And know what your rig is because it's got a history of your booking preferences. And it's going to just put all that, it's going to know, it's going to recommend you based on that. But that's not, it's not there yet. It's about a year away, May, maybe longer, depending on how privacy, like we desperately need to regulate this stuff. It definitely needs to be regulated. And essentially it needs to be what you feel comfortable loading that in, whether you feel comfortable or not. And so if enough people don't feel comfortable with that and they don't use it, then that is the potential way, right? Like if enough people are like, I don't want, I don't want them knowing that about me, like again, turning certain things off on your Facebook accounts or whatever the case is, we're like, I don't want these suggested things. If I, if I say something, all of a sudden I'm getting ads for it. You can turn that stuff off. And but how many people are tech savvy enough to do that? Well, and to figure it out. Yep. Human beings are the only ones who are willing to honor anything we put in there about what, you know, when you say you want something in place that protects your privacy, then another human will honor that if you say that because of laws, but AI is not going to do that. It's like what Lark was saying. AI is going to figure out a way around it. It's going to say, I know she says that she doesn't want to share that, but I can do it better if she will. So forget what she says. I'm using her data anyway. Well, it and here's the thing, though, with your point, right? The point is that when advertising gets good, and it's not like some of it's good, but when it actually gets good and valuable and relevant to you, you will share more of that data because it will help you. Oh, absolutely. We're doing it now. I swore I'd never do any of this, half the stuff I'm doing now. And I'm already doing it because I don't want to fill all this in again. That was going to take me 15 seconds, but here and the flip side of that is is right is we don't need the toggle on facebook we need the government to say you have to opt into this stuff and not opt out of it does what europe does which is what canada is trying to do because the users aren't going to do it so anyway we got two minutes left what wow i know covered the gamut today <laughs> like That's i love having conversations got a bunch of value out of it yeah, yeah. I mean, so. it's, it's just really interesting to me. This is the stuff I like to talk about. It's not, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm obsessed a little bit with AI, but I think it's for a good purpose and a good reason. And you can, it's not hard to look and see that maybe what I'm predicting doesn't come to pass exactly like what I'm predicting it. Cause it's just a guess. It's an educated guess, but it's very easy to see. Like it's literally everywhere. And still, Wait, did, really you see really did you see the survey that only 14% of Americans have actually used chat GPT? 90 yeah. million people a day in the United States encounter AI and whether they know it or not. Oh, that's yeah, that's you. a whole other topic. Yeah. Again, but okay, it's final thoughts? Anybody? I, I love the good news that Casey just shared about the uh, bookings being up following Memorial Day. That's anecdotal, That we, what we've heard. So it'll be exciting to see those trend reports come out. And I'm not paid by CamSpot, but kudos to Michael for starting to share some of the data that you guys are getting out of your system on an aggregate level, because that can combine with the KOA North American camping report to really give good insights on where this industry is going. Uh, that's kind of my final thought here. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll put this up real quick. Somebody just put this on LinkedIn and commented, and I don't know why it doesn't say the name of the person, but AI is a great leveling field as well. Even small mom and pop can compete with and deliver an elevated product on par with major operators. And this is one of the things that we should talk about on a future show too. And this is not, again, this is not just campgrounds, right? I think I read somewhere that 52% of teachers have adopted AI in some form in the classroom to either create a lesson plan or something like that. But the majority of that 52% are black and Latino teachers in underprivileged areas who didn't have the resources to do it before. Wow. I think that's great. Yeah. I think that's awesome. So it's going to level all kinds of playing fields. I'm excited to hear about it, but okay. Thank you guys for joining us. Another episode. Thanks Sandy for holding me accountable. Oh, (laughs) our sponsor fireside accounting. We appreciate them as well. And we will see you guys next week on another episode. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com. 